All right, welcome to another T-Rex Talk. This is a podcast exclusive, and it's um, well, it's been a while since I've done one of these. Um, now that we have a, a pretty major holster project um, launched, something that was taking an awfully long time to get ready for, I should have a little bit more time to do these more often, so uh, hopefully... Hopefully that works out. Today I want to talk a little bit about a ATF-related topic. I know that there's been a fair amount of ATF-related live streams and ATF-related podcast exclusives, but this is interesting enough that it's worth worth bringing up, and there's a couple of interesting pieces of news related to this. So there is an interesting uh, situation involving the ATF and Rare Breed Triggers. So Rare Breed Triggers is a company it's been around, it's been in operation for about one year, and it only has one product, the Force Reset Trigger for AR-15s, or FRT-15. So the FRT-15 trigger is, uh, it's not an auto-sear, and it's not a machine gun, even though the ATF uh, wants to disagree with that. It enables more rapid fire um, than other triggers, but it only, uh, legally, of course, as it is required to be, it only allows one bullet to be fired for every pull of the trigger, it just makes it easier to pull the trigger after you've fired one bullet so that you can fire the next bullet faster. Uh, This is perfectly legal and allowed, and it's not what a machine gun is as defined by legislation and regulations that are sane and what I would consider to be common sense gun control. Uh, but anyhow, the uh, the FRT-15 went into production in the summer of 2020, and Rare Breed Triggers did not uh, send any production samples to the ATF's Firearms and Ammunition Technology Division uh, so that they could get a letter declaring it to not be a machine gun. Instead, they got legal opinions from some other firearm lawyers, um, some specific uh, consultants, and former ATF agents. And everyone that they talked to agreed that uh, this is a trigger system and not a machine gun. So they began selling this this year in 2021. And uh, they sold a bunch of triggers to regular citizens. And then on July 27th, Rare Breed was summoned uh, by a special agent in charge of the ATF and given a cease and a desist order. Now, this is a pretty usual sort of thing. The ATF demanded that the uh, Rare Breed Triggers uh, Corporation stop all production of the one product that they create and uh, that they would help the ATF reacquire all existing sold triggers that are in private hands. And if Rare breed triggers doesn't comply with this. There would be criminal prosecutions and seizure of assets and, you know, all the, all the normal stuff. Probably, you know, probably threats involving dogs, but who knows? This is all standard operating procedures for the ATF. They find a small company uh, that doesn't have very many resources that has come up with an interesting product, some innovation that uh, pushes some envelopes. And if it is a small company without many resources and not many customers, then that company doesn't have very many ways to fight back. Uh, It's very easy to intimidate a small company like that. Uh, So they often are particularly looking for small manufacturers, uh, small gun shops, people with small but valuable collections of certain types of guns, small families living in small cabins in Idaho, small religious groups in Texas, you know, this sort of thing. However, this situation is a little bit different because rare breed triggers isn't exactly a small company. I don't know exactly how the relationships work, but Rare Breed Triggers is connected to Rare Breed Firearms and Spikes Tactical. So Spikes Tactical, again, is uh, 
it's not a small company. It's not one of the gigantic behemoths that is owned by the Freedom Group or uh, one of these ginormous arms companies that's constantly in and out of uh, bankruptcy. But it is a relatively large company. They have a lot of customers. They have a pretty large war chest, I would imagine. They have a significant media capability. And legally speaking, the rare breed trigger company is owned by Kevin Maxwell, who is an attorney who personally has a very long history of arms-related litigation and ITAR stuff, a whole bunch of stuff inside of this particular space of weaponry and legality. And uh, he's a very experienced sort of guy, and he's also very non-intimidated by the ATF. You should go and find the letter that he sent back to the ATF, and you can see an example of uh, how non-intimidated he actually is. Also, the law office of Maxwell and the business address of Rare Breed Triggers are one and the same. So if the ATF actually seizes all the files and assets uh, of Rare Breed Triggers, they're probably going to place themselves in the very awkward position of having uh, wrongfully disclosed a whole bunch of legally protected documents relating to Maxwell's legal clients. And uh, this was a, kind of a sticky situation that they would potentially find themselves in. Also, all four of the experts that provided affidavits stating that the FRT-15 is not a machine gun, well, those guys are legal experts who are regularly called upon by the ATF to provide expert testimony in court. So this whole situation is very interesting. It feels a lot less like the Department of Justice trampling on a small business and uh, more like almost walking into a trap. And on August 3rd, uh, this very year, Rare Breed Triggers LLC and Mr. Maxwell filed a lawsuit against the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, the Department of Justice, the ATF, the ATF Acting Director, Marvin Richardson, and the Special Agent in Charge, Craig Sayer, of the Tampa Field Division. So this lawsuit, or this case, is going to be brought uh, before the United States District Court uh, in the Middle District of Florida Orlando Division on August 18th. So this coming Wednesday... I think this is actually a fairly promising case for setting a pretty good precedent. It is hugely problematic that the ATF, which is not a legislative body, it is a regulatory and enforcement body, they will often completely reclassify things in ways that only legislation can do. They can't actually write laws into effect. Only the legislators can do that. Only Congress can do that. Um, and then the laws that Congress has written those get enforced uh, by the Department of Justice and by the different departments like the um, Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives Bureau. But they don't actually get to pick which things are right and wrong. They don't actually get to write the laws. But often they take such a free hand when it comes to regulating stuff in and out of legality that they are essentially writing law. And this is hugely problematic. And that is exactly the thing that's being addressed in this particular case. Now, it isn't always the ATF that does this. Sometimes it's other people. For example, you might recall that at one point in time, somebody, and I'm not going to say who, declared that bump stocks uh, were illegal. Now, no, no law was made uh, to actually make bump stocks illegal. What happened was somebody, and again, I can't remember who it was, somebody said that bump stocks were going to be banned, and the ATF just decided that they would be banned by declaring them to be machine guns, even though they do not, according to the letter of the law, actually be machine guns. Um, and so there's a couple of reasons why this case, 
that rare breed triggers is bringing against the ATF um, has a couple of interesting uh, advantages to it. In addition to the ways that that uh, Spikes Tactical and uh, Kevin Maxwell and Rare Breed Trigger have have positioned themselves for this, there's also the fact that in March uh, this year, March 21st, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals actually ruled that a bump stack bump stock is not a machine gun. So. They were ruling on an issue. Uh, I believe it was the Gun Owners of America uh, that actually brought uh, this this particular case, and it w- wended its way through different courts of appeals. Uh, but the Sixth Circuit ruled on it, and they said that um, the judges ruled two to one. They said that reclassifying an accessory into a machine gun is well outside the scope of any regulatory body because it is actually altering criminal law. And again, regulatory bodies and enforcement agencies cannot change the law. They cannot change criminal law. They cannot write new laws into effect. That can only be done by legislators. So this is the precedent that was set on March 21st. And that's probably going to come into play on this particular lawsuit here. And then um, there's another interesting development that happened this month, extremely recently. So Gun Owners of America also, uh, in addition to the lawsuit that addressed the bump stocks, um, they issued a uh, Freedom of Information Act request asking for the complete standard operating procedures manual for the ATF's Firearms and Ammunition Technology Division, or FAT. The ATF has the FAT. Um, it's very complicated. Uh, but basically, this is the division of the ATF that examines things like pistol braces and bump stocks and trigger assemblies and decides whether or not they in and of themselves have magically become machine guns. They also talk about all sorts of various other firearm related things. And um, this this document, the standard operating procedures and training manuals and things for this entire division is uh, is something that has been much speculated about. But uh, no one ever knew that it actually existed. It's a mythical document shrouded in great mystery. But the Gun Owners of America folks um, just went ahead and filed that uh, Freedom of Information Act request. And uh, apparently there was some resistance from the ATF at first. But since the Gun Owners of America has demonstrated that they are very willing to sue federal agencies in general, and the ATF in particular... um, they actually got a hold of the document. It was actually released to them, and Gun Owners of America and Ammoland uh, are now going through all of the documents associated with that. So, <clears throat> for now, there's uh, articles going up on Ammoland.com that you can read. That's kind of an ongoing bit of reporting. And then, at some point, all of the documents are going to be released to the public. That's the purpose of what Gun Owners of America was trying to do. And I would imagine that at this point, um, they have also been sharing those documents with Kevin Maxwell, or at least they should, because the way that that Firearms and Ammunition Technology Division defines certain documents, or rather defines certain pieces of equipment in certain ways, is sort of the crux of this very issue. It is really a major, major aspect to the lawsuit that Kevin Maxwell and Rare Breed Trigger are bringing against um, against the Department of Justice and the ATF. So those are two major developments this year that would have a massive impact on the case. And that would be an impact um, that would be very pro-private company and, and not go well for the ATF. So what do I think is actually going to happen? I think what's probably most likely is the ATF is going to retract their cease and desist letter. They're, they're going to... Um, not go after uh, the rare breed trigger, the FRT-15 uh, at all. 
whatever piece of regulatory nonsense they come up with that declared this one particular trigger to be a machine gun in and of itself, that, that document will just kind of disappear. And then the lawsuit will just kind of go away. They'll sort of slink off and look for an easier target. Because the ATF also has a, a track record, a known track record, we can see them many times, dropping cases if it looks like they're going to lose the case and the court outcome will set a bad precedent for them. So there have been a bunch of cases of people who have been building AR-15 lowers, uh, oftentimes, uh, I believe, in, in direct contravention of, of pretty clear law. But the ATF has been dropping those cases because the way that ATF lowers and firearms are defined is hugely legally problematic. And so rather than get a ruling that hurts them, they actually drop those cases. So that's probably what's going to happen uh, with this particular situation, um, which is a good thing because there's a whole bunch of FRT 15 owners that are able to keep the things that they purchased and continue to use them. But it's also a little bit of a disappointment that uh, if they do drop the case and decide to leave FRT alone, that sets a small precedent, but it doesn't set a very large uh, legal precedent. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm, I'm very encouraged um, that uh, Spikes Tactical and Red Raid Triggers were prepared uh, for this particular battle, and they had all their ducks in a row, and they're actually apparently willing to go the distance and certainly strike out uh, with a lot of vim and vigor, and I think that they have an awful lot of ammunition on their side, so to speak. Yeah, I'm not sure how exactly how it's going to pan out, but I'm very eager to see what happens on Wednesday. Now, the other thing that I would like to bring up today, this is probably going to be a slightly shorter episode than, uh, than normal, but one of the things that I'd like to bring up today uh, as a contrast is Afghanistan. I normally don't talk about multiple things on these uh, audio-only podcast exclusive episodes, but I think this is an interesting contrast. So in Afghanistan right now, the United States has pulled out of Afghanistan, more or less, Certainly enough that billions of dollars of weapons that we have left behind in the country uh, are being captured by the Taliban and our enemies. And the Biden administration in general is just sort of poo-pooing the fact that uh, guns, explosives, vehicles, helicopters, all kinds of stuff that we took to Afghanistan and spent tremendous amounts of money on and gave to um, the, the National Army of Afghanistan, uh, that's all being transferred to the Taliban right now. So apparently that is not a huge deal. But the fact that there's a Florida company that makes an AR-15 trigger that lets you shoot bullets slightly faster, that is a huge deal. And that's getting a fair amount of Department of Justice time and effort. So just... Just an interesting contrast right there. These are the things that are happening uh, this week and last week. And um, I actually feel far, far more confident in predicting the outcome of what is happening in Afghanistan uh, than I do predicting the outcome of this particular ATF court case. Um, my prediction for Afghanistan is that two decades of war are basically going to be completely overturned. Anything that, that was done, anything that has changed over there over the last two decades, pretty much... I think all going to change back in about two weeks. Uh, it's depressing to think about for a lot of different reasons, but I'm afraid that the greatest legacy of uh, September 11th is not going to be fewer enemies and more stability abroad. Uh, it's going to be greater authoritarian government power here at home. Um, that is certainly a way that things are looking now. And yet, I, I still think that there is a lot of hope. It's a very depressing thing to think about, and it's a terrible uh, terribly depressing contrast um, to, to consider these two things at the same time. And yet, 
Um, I do have a lot of hope. I think small victories build momentum, and small victories over, say, an AR-15 trigger uh, and the ATF are really in- interesting and encouraging. And even when there, there aren't victories, uh, you see large, painful, abject failures and defeats of our government. Well, as painful uh, as it is to see and contemplate those failures, I'm afraid that those are really the only things that will get people to notice and to stand up and make a change. So as we go into this uh, this week here, uh, I'm really eager to see what happens with this particular court case um, with rare breed triggers with the ATF. Uh, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for uh, some information or a vote on David Chipman to be the director of the ATF. Apparently, I, I speculated in the past that he was going to be some kind of sacrificial lamb. And then uh, <laughs> when this really goofy, obviously uh, not properly equipped, incompetent fellow cannot be confirmed, they'll have some prearranged guy waiting in the wings that they'll pull out and, and stick him in. Apparently, that's not the case, because if David Chipman was, in fact, the sacrificial lamb, his blood would already be everywhere. And uh, they'd, we'd already have that shadowy G-Man figure being confirmed. But apparently, no, the, the Biden administration still wants Chipman in. There's a huge amount of pushback. Things are just getting worse and worse and worse for him. The more people interview him, uh, the more of his past gets dug up, the worse it gets. And yet uh, we just delay his vote over and over and over again until hopefully he's not in the news as much. But thank you very much for listening to this episode. Um, if you are paying attention to the other T-Rex media, you've already heard about the new sidecar project. But now that we've gotten most of that taken care of, there should be more content. Um, there should be more discussions. Uh, there should be more YouTube videos. So sign up for our newsletter. We have some other stuff coming very shortly. And uh, you'll want to be on the newsletter so that you can actually hear about that stuff. It's somewhat related to the issue of this particular podcast.